Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. We are excited to have a really distinguished guest joining us today, Dr. Leon Rosenberg, who has a resume longer than my arm, but I will try to keep it short. Um, He is an American physician. He's a scientist, a geneticist, and an educator. He was the chair of the Department of Human Genetics and also the dean of the medical school at Yale. He then worked as a chief scientific officer at Bristol Myers Squibb Pharmaceutical Company, and he's written a whole bunch of articles and books. And recently, he just published in August a book with a fascinating title, Genes, Medicine, Moods, A Memoir of Success and Struggle. So, Dr. Rosenberg, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Arden. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you join us as well. And I want to give a a quick moment for Diana just to say hello to the listeners today. Hi. As much as we have a distinguished guest today, he is also distinguished in my eyes as well. This is my father. I will be calling him dad on this. And it brings me enormous excitement to have this conversation with him and you listeners. Thank you, Diana. Well, we're going to launch right in given the timing of today, because I'm sure there's going to be tons of conversation and questions that we can get to. So Dr. Rosenberg, I'm going to start out by saying um, that I, you know, I was reading your book and in the prologue, it said, I am proof that it is possible to live a highly successful career in medicine or science and to struggle with complex, serious mental illness at the same time, which I think is a really profound statement. And I think um, it's important for folks listening to the podcast, because I think there's a lot of people, as I'm sure you know, who are reluctant to talk about this, especially if they're leading very distinguished careers. So can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis? Yes, Arden. Um, The diagnosis of my mental illness called bipolar disorder type 2 was only made uh, officially when I was 65 years old. But with the gift of hindsight, I had symptoms compatible with that diagnosis from age 26 on. So when when you ask me about my diagnosis, uh, I think it it deserves a, a little complicated answer. Uh, I was well until I was 26, and then I had an episode uh, of clear-cut uh, depression where I was exceedingly sad, less active than usual for me. Uh, I had feelings of hopelessness. My appetite was poor. I slept poorly, uh, and the whole world seemed to have slowed down, and that lasted for a month. 
then I was well until six years later when I had a very similar episode of depression when I moved from the National Institutes of Health to Yale. Uh, and uh, when I had those two episodes, I knew that there was something organic about them for me, that they weren't just occasional things. But I didn't have any of the telltale signs of bipolar disease because at that time I'd never had an episode of hypomania. And it is the combination of hypomania or mania with depression that uh, is required to establish the bipolar disorder diagnosis. Uh, years later, when I found out that my older brother had bipolar disorder, and when my nephew uh, died very likely of suicide at age 20, I knew then that I likely had bipolar disorder, but I chose to stay in the closet uh, because a psychiatrist at Yale told me it would be much better for my career if I stayed quiet about the diagnosis. So it was only when I had a suicidal depression at age 65 that uh, I decided I needed uh, medical, medicinal treatment and went on lithium. And that's when the diagnosis was firmly established. I realize that's a long-winded answer, but it, uh, I think it's important for your listeners to know that since there's no blood test for bipolar disorder or x-ray, one exists uh, only on uh, symptoms to establish the diagnosis. So this is Diana. I have one question I'd like to follow up. You said that basically the psychiatrist at Yale indicated to you that stigma would be harmful to your career trajectory. And that kept you from sort of managing a diagnosis. Do you think that had you actually received treatment during your meteoric trajectory, that would have hindered your career in hindsight or not? Well, that's the uh, existential question, Arden, and I don't have... Uh, I don't have an absolute answer. It's the, it's the path not taken. Uh, I can imagine that if I had been diagnosed when I was 40 uh, and treated with a mood-stabilizing drug, I might not have had some of the creative experiences uh, that I had without treatment. On the other hand, if I had been diagnosed at age 40, my personal life almost surely would have been less turbulent than it turned out to be. Dad, can you tell us a little bit about that turbulence? How did your bipolar disorder affect the family constellation? Well... That's an unusual question coming from my loving daughter, but uh, I'll do the best I can. 
uh, I I think again with uh, on reflection, um, I was fairly typical in my behavior pattern. I worked enormously hard. I slept very little when I was uh, really humming along, and I didn't have any sense of balance between work and family. I think I always cared for my children. I'm afraid to say, or not afraid, I I cared more for my children than for my wife, and that had its... uh, effect on our marriage, which ultimately ended uh, in divorce. So mm-hmm. uh, certainly my diagnosis uh, affected my family life uh, in a significant way. And again, we have come back to the question, well, what if I had been diagnosed very early Uh, Would my first marriage have lasted all these years? I tend to think not, but I can't be absolutely certain. That's a really gracious answer, Dad. Thank you. Diana, I would love to just, because we have both of you on the line here, I would love to to pose the question to you, do, you know, what was your experience in growing up um, with your dad, and, and do you see it in the same vein that he does in terms of the impact? So I see a couple of things growing up with somebody with bipolar disorder. When he said he didn't have plain mania, I think that was true. But I think he had a lot of creative hypomania that made him probably more focused on mental pursuits than family life. That would have been true. But I also know that we as a family were extraordinarily proud of my father and what was going on in his life. And it was only when he was in his depressive episode that I felt like in some ways I really got to know him. He was home, he was slower, he was more conversational. And I know that probably sounds horrible to him, but as a kid, he was more accessible when he seemed lower. Interesting. Very interesting. I agree. I'd never heard quite that comment before, so it's very profound for me. Well, it's great that we can have this venue to have that kind of conversation. I guess on a totally different topic, because, you know, one of the hopes for this podcast is to really educate families, but also their advisors about, you know, what is it to live with somebody? How do you support a loved one with any kind of diagnosis, whether that's a medical one or a psychiatric one. Um, And so one question I have is, you know, Dr. Rosenberg, Diana had shared with me that you've had a a long-term relationship with your financial advisor. And I'm curious because, you know, what we see in our practice is at times financial advisors can be the type of person who people confide in long-term concerns, especially as they're thinking about future and where is the money going to be spent and how do I take care of not only my children, but grandchildren and leave a good legacy. You know, was that a conversation you had with your financial advisor? Was he or she aware of your diagnosis? And, and what did, you know, did they have any response that was helpful or was that something you kept mostly um, private? No, I did not keep it private from uh, our financial advisor, I learned to trust her uh, 
completely. She was a woman, or is a woman in her 50s, and she was remarkably competent and empathetic. Uh, And so I, she knew very early on from my wife and from me uh, that uh, I had uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, And it turned out that her first husband also had a mood disorder, which probably was bipolar. So she was not only empathetic, but she understood what that diagnosis meant. Uh, It was very valuable to me and I think to my wife and to my advisor that that was right out in the open. So to your advisor, do you think it helped her sort of do planning with you? Do you think it helped her understand you better? When you say helpful, I would love to know what that meant. Well, Diana, as as you uh, know, one of the hallmarks of people with this kind of mood disorder is the predisposition to make bad financial judgments. And since my financial advisor was specifically the person to whom we turned for financial advice, uh, her knowledge of my condition meant that she could factor that in the way I responded to her suggestions of investments or disinvestments or or estate planning. Uh, And so I think it not only was it uh, made for an open relationship, but there was specific advantage concerned with uh, managing money. That makes complete sense. I know we have a story in our family of my uncle who made some financial mistakes. Was that one of the reasons you were as forthcoming? I think by by the time this advisor came into my life, uh, I had already decided to open up uh, about my diagnosis. Uh, so... I don't think what happened to my older brother uh, influenced that part. My relationship with my older brother was a traumatic event that lasted for 65 years, uh, and that's a different story. I'd love to just back up for a second because I think you said something really interesting, Dr. Rosenberg. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you had a really trusting relationship with your financial advisor. How, how did that develop over time or what made you trust her to the point that this felt like a natural conversation to have? Well, you know, that's, uh, Arden, that's an issue of personal chemistry. She was very competent in bringing to us uh, ideas and instruments for investment uh, or portfolio management. But I think more than anything, she had a very open personality herself and made it clear that she had a complicated personal life 
of her own, which always makes it easier to confide in someone. So it was a combination of her intrinsic character and then shared experiences that I think uh, made for a, a, a lasting uh, relationship built on trust uh, and caring. That makes a lot of sense. I have one more question. Dad, knowing that your book has the word genes in it, and we're talking about mental illness, if you were an advisor of a family or a family office professional, and one member, maybe the patriarch, had bipolar disorder, what would be your inclination towards the other members of the family? What would you be looking for? Well, I, I would be looking for uh, information about whether that diagnosis had been shared with members of the family or whether it had been kept a secret. If it had been shared, then the critical question would be, what was the patriarch doing uh, to um, uh, make the diagnosis not be controlling him, rather that he or she was controlling it? So I think uh, I think openness, uh, transparency in that setting is very important and surely not always done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I guess one of my last questions is, you know, what do you think is important for family members to think through if they're supporting somebody like yourself who's very high achieving and um, is struggling with either accepting a diagnosis, which is a big issue, or accepting help for a diagnosis? You know, how do you advise family members around that person in terms of what they can do to be supportive? Well, that's, that is such a key question. And uh, even at my advanced age of 87 years, uh, I find regularly uh, trip wires when it comes to my, uh, to my family. Uh, it's only in the past uh, 20 years that my two sons and my two daughters have known uh, of my diagnosis, not because I, I hid it from them necessarily, but I think children are loath to know something uh, about a parent that reflects on a serious and continuing illness. And the fact that it's bipolar disorder rather than asthma uh, or diabetes or high blood pressure uh, makes that whole conversation uh, harder. It shouldn't. Bipolar disorder is a brain condition, just as asthma is a condition of the respiratory system or Angina is a disease of the coronary arteries, but we still in our society treat mental illness fundamentally differently. It is, we still sadly 
have a stigma associated with mental illness, and that colors uh, family existence as well as as it covers uh, professional uh, or inter-colleague uh, exchanges. I think it's a great message to hear. Yeah, thank you. I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about, you know, what motivated you to write the book, and are there things that you would like our listeners to know about your um, memoir? Well, I, I've been writing this memoir for 20 years or more, on and off. Um, and uh, I felt that I had an interesting story to tell. It had a story that was uh, applicable to uh, people well beyond the, the few who knew me or the hundred who knew me uh, somewhat. Uh, bipolar disorder is very common. It affects about 1% of the population. And since it carries with it a very high risk of self-harm, I mean, I'm I'm stunned every time I say this, but 4 to 5% of everyone who has bipolar disease commits suicide. And three to four times that many attempt suicide uh, and don't complete it. So we're dealing with a condition that has extraordinarily important effects on life itself. And yet we tend still to stay quiet because uh, uh, the society we live in is still not ready to see uh chronic anxiety or uh, attention deficit disorder uh, or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia as real conditions that require the same degree of acceptance and sympathy as do conditions that are labeled as physical disorders. Well said. Thank you, Dad. So I have one last question. In your book, you talk about your four children. What you don't answer in that book is which one of us is your favorite. You're supposed to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to laugh. I'd be a damn fool if I, if I even tried to answer that question. But I'll, gi- I'll give you the, the real answer. I have spent my life uh, trying to treat each one of my children Uh, the same way in important ways. I've never declared a favorite. Uh, They're all my favorite. Uh, I I grew up in a family where that was not the case. I was my father's favorite. There was something very good about that, and there was something not good at all about it in terms of my relationship with my older brother. So I determined at a very young age that when I had children, uh, they were going to be treated as if every one of them was uh, the favorite. And you did a good job there, Dad. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosenberg, for 
coming on our podcast today. We always like to end our podcast episodes with something for the audience to consider. So would you like to sign off with maybe a suggestion or a takeaway or something that you want to convey to our listeners out there about your experiences? Well, I I would like to have your listeners know that having a mental illness is not always a, a disaster or a catastrophe. Bipolar disorder is one of those mental illnesses that on occasion has a real upside. Uh, it isn't just uh, the, the elation or, or hyperactivity of hypomania, but I think I did my very best science when I was hypomanic. Uh, and as I look back, I try to factor the, uh, the effect that, that my mood disorder had on my scientific thrust as much as it did on the turbulence of my life. Uh, That's something that I think your listeners ought to be aware of. Uh, It isn't just sympathy that uh, you should hold out for people in your families uh, that have a mood disorder uh, consider always the the whole the whole story in that person. Nicely said. Thank you. Well, thank you both. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources, and sign up for our newsletter.